You're listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast with Dr. Cameron Marshall. Ask Concussion Doc is a show where we answer your questions about concussions, treatment, and rehabilitation to help practitioners better manage these injuries. Enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by the Complete Concussion Management Clinical Network. Are you suffering from a concussion? Concussion symptoms that just aren't getting better? Maybe you're in the wrong place. Maybe you're seeing the wrong healthcare professional. Visit completeconcussions.com slash find dash a dash clinic to find all of the local professionally trained concussion clinicians in your area. Each of our partnered clinics have gone through extensive training on concussion assessment, diagnosis, treatment, and rehabilitation, and will be able to quickly determine the root cause of your symptoms and work with you to develop a plan to get rid of them. If you don't know what's driving your symptoms, you can't ever hope to relieve them. Completeconcussions.com slash find a clinic. They have a 98% patient satisfaction rating and the net promoter score as judged by real patients is higher than Amazon, Netflix, and Apple. Completeconcussions.com slash find dash a dash clinic. You won't regret it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ask Concussion Dog, episode 76. This episode is concussion prevention. Last episode, we talked about the biomechanics of concussion. So if you haven't yet listened to that episode, make sure that you do that one first because it kind of sets the tone for what I'm going to talk about today. For those of you listening live, I'll give you kind of a quick recap. Concussion is caused by acceleration of the brain inside the skull. So the brain moves inside the skull, that's what causes concussion, and it's a stretching and shearing of the brain cells as far as we know. That leads to a hyperstimulation of the brain. Again, more information was in the last episode as to how this occurs. So you have the brain moving inside the skull. So this episode, I'm going to talk about how we might be able to prevent or reduce the amount of acceleration that's transmitted to the head because the force or the, the, I don't know if you want to call it a vector or what it is, but acceleration is the cause of concussion injuries. So let's talk about how we can prevent that. So I'm going to go through a bunch of different possible prevention strategies for this from helmets and protective equipment into strengthening programs and other devices into playing surfaces and rule changes and things like that. How can we reduce or prevent concussions from happening? I'm going to talk about the research on each one of these potentials, and then by the end, you'll have a good overview of concussion prevention strategies. Number one, let's talk about helmets. So helmets are designed to dissipate forces. It's designed to take a focal point of impact and dissipate it so that your head gets it at a larger surface area. So if I'm not wearing a helmet and I'm, let's say, a baseball um, player and I'm I'm a batter and I'm about to hit a ball and let's say I get a wild pitch, the pitcher throws a pitch and it comes and it hits me right in the side of the head. Well, if I get hit right in the side of the head with a baseball, that's a very, very small focal point of impact. So if that hits me in this small little spot, it'll likely fracture my skull. Now, if I'm wearing a helmet in that same area, the baseball will hit that small focal point of impact, but yet the forces will immediately dissipate. So the force that I'm actually getting to my head is going to be spread out over a larger surface area, which then prevents my skull from being fractured. So the purpose of a helmet 
is not to reduce brain injury or not to prevent concussion. The purpose of a helmet is to prevent skull fractures because it dissipates the force outward. The brain moves inside the skull. That's what causes a concussion. So you can wrap the head in whatever you want. That brain is still going to move inside that skull given enough force. You can get a concussion from getting hit in the body. You don't even have to be hit in the head. If you get a hit to the body and your head whips back and forth, well, the brain is still going to potentially move inside the skull and that can cause concussion. So why does it matter what you're wearing on your head? Now, theoretically, with enough padding and with a nice soft outer shell, you might be able to dissipate that force. So think airbags, right? The reason why airbags are helpful is because when you're in an accident, rather than hitting your head off the dashboard, which is a firm surface, which is an abrupt stop, you hit your head off the dashboard, rather than do that, the airbags will come out and they will reduce the, the velocity over a longer period of time. Right, Acceleration is distance over time squared. So the longer you can make the time, the, the better or the lower your acceleration or deceleration value is going to be. So by having these things, these airbags blow up, you're now effectively elongating the amount of time over which that deceleration happens. And that's going to uh, reduce the forces on the brain tissue and prevent these types of catastrophic injuries. So having a hard outer shelled helmet with a little thin padding of foam is designed to prevent skull fracture. But given enough padding inside and potentially a softer shell, theoretically we could slow down or increase the amount of time in which that force is transmitted, which effectively will reduce acceleration or deceleration depending on what's happened and potentially result in reduced concussion incidents. Now, there's a new helmet that came out. It was introduced uh, in college football and the NFL uh, a couple of years ago, it's called the Vices Helmet, and the concept is just that, where the helmet has a softer outer shell, so the impact when it happens, the helmet kind of folds in and dissipates the forces a little bit. But when they first kind of released these helmets, the teams that were wearing them were getting just as many concussions as the teams that weren't wearing them. So theoretically, it may make sense, but right now at this point in time, helmets have not been shown to reduce concussion risk by any amount. So when you're looking for a helmet or one versus the other, the big thing you want to look at is helmet fit. There's some evidence to suggest that a properly fitting helmet may have a reduction in concussion incidents, but again, that's like one or two studies that we need more on. But the big thing is just making sure that, it's, that it properly fits and it's approved by whatever licensing and regulatory body that you utilize. So don't go out looking for a helmet to prevent concussion injuries because it doesn't exist. Anything that claims that it does is a gimmick and in fact a lot of sports equipment manufacturers have been sued over making claims like that so you probably won't find many claims like that anyway. Alright, next up we got mouth guards. Mouth guards are designed to protect the teeth. Um, again, the brain is moving inside the skull. How can a device on your teeth prevent the brain from moving inside the skull? You just have to kind of think about that one logically to, you know, have the idea that that's that's a pretty pretty long shot. Now, interestingly, there's been studies that have shown that mouth guards are protective against concussion, but there's also been studies that show that they're not protective against concussion. 
So really at this point in time, the research is mixed. There was a meta-analysis that was done by Carolyn Emery's group um, out in Alberta. And what they did is looked at all the research that's been done on mouth guards and kind of put it all together into a meta-analysis. And what they found was actually there was a slight reduction in concussion risk when wearing mouth guards, but it was non-significant because the IRR value crossed one, which means that um, some studies showed increased concussion risk, some studies showed decrease. The balance was on the decrease side, but it wasn't significant. So basically more research is needed with respect to mouth guards, still inconclusive. But again, just think about it logically. Something on the teeth, is that really going to dissipate the forces or reduce the acceleration of the brain inside the skull? I don't know. All right, changes in playing surfaces and playing environments. So a lot of concussions occur on the playing surface from a player actually impacting their, their head onto the playing surface or with an implement on the playing surface, such as a goal post, uh, into the boards in a, in a hockey game or lacrosse game, uh, on the turf or, or field during other you know, field-based sports. So what if we made the turf softer? Again, you're increasing the amount of time in which that deceleration happens so maybe softer turf would reduce concussion incidents. What if we made the boards in hockey have more give so that when you got body checked into it, it had some give to it. So it wasn't an abrupt boom stop, it was had some give. So you, again, you're elongating the amount of time in which that impact occurs. So it's all about reducing acceleration. So these are all conceivable ideas. However, there's very little research on any of it to say, just because it's a good idea doesn't mean that it'll actually work in real life. Uh, a previous study done by Tiominen, Tiominen um, sounds Finnish, uh, in 2015 found that there was a 57% reduction in concussion risk when games were played in rinks that had flexible boards. Hockey games. So hockey games played in rinks that had flexible boards had a 57% reduction in concussion risk. Now again, this was non-significant because there wasn't enough data to show. But 57% is obviously clinically relevant, right? Um, so again, more research needed on this. I haven't seen too much in terms of playing surface, but again, these are all theoretical conceivable ideas that might help, but we, we need more research on it. Number four, next strengthening programs. So there's a ton of people out there promoting neck strengthening. I don't know if you guys have seen, there's this thing called the Iron Neck. Uh, there's other neck strengthening programs that have been, you know, that they're talking about will reduce your risk of concussion. Now, why, where does this idea come from? Well, like I said, concussion is from the brain accelerating, decelerating. So in order for the brain to accelerate, decelerate, the head has to accelerate, decelerate. And in order for the head to accelerate, decelerate, there has to be movement through the neck. If the neck is stiff, let's say the neck was a rigid object, right? Let's say it doesn't move at all. And let's say you were to have like some sort of hard collar on your neck and you were able to completely stabilize your neck and have no movement at all. If you were to get hit, let's say in football and somebody came from the side and hit you in the side of the head, because of your neck being completely fixed to your torso in my hypothetical scenario, the moment arm, meaning that you know, the torque that would be required to move your head to a significant degree to cause acceleration would have to be so high that it would just be inconceivable. Because if you're going to get hit in the head, now if your neck is fixed to your body, now your whole torso would have to be moved in order to move your head. 
which means that there'd be you'd have to have basically an inconceivable amount of force that would happen. And so in 2007, researcher by the name of Viano and colleagues did a finite element study where they took NFL impacts and college football impacts and they put them into a modeling software program where they looked at different variables. They looked at all these concussions that occurred and said, well, what if we made the helmet thicker? What if we made the padding more dense? What if we changed the material the helmet was made out of? And they plugged all this stuff into a computer model. And that model would spit out results of head acceleration. And is that enough of a reduction to reduce the chances of this injury or this thing causing a concussion? The number one thing, the number one variable that reduced concussion risk or head acceleration was neck stiffness. If we increased the stiffness variable of the neck, then the head accelerated much, much less, and this was actually protective against concussion injury. They've done studies in animals back in the 40s, uh, in cats. People don't like when I talk about this study, so you cat lovers, plug your ears, earmuffs. Um, what they would do is they would have cats that were kind of positioned on this thing, and they would swing a pendulum down, and it would hit them in the side of the head, and it would give them a concussion. Then they took the a next group of animals, brought them in, and stabilized their head and neck so they didn't allow any movement whatsoever. And then they would swing the pendulum down and hit them in the side of the head. And I can't remember the exact quote, but it was something like, concussion could not be achieved even with the maximum velocity obtainable by the apparatus. So I'm picturing a bunch of researchers sitting around trying to really hum this thing down and hit this cat. But yet, because the head remains stable, if there's no movement of the head, there's no acceleration. If there's no acceleration, there's no concussion injury. So the idea here, neck stiffness became the number one variable for reducing head acceleration. So then this led people to think neck stiffness, neck strength. What if we were to strengthen the neck? So then all this research started being done looking at neck strength. But here's the problem. Neck strength and neck stiffness are two different things. If you have a really strong neck, but you're not contracting your neck, your neck can move all over the place, right? You don't think NFL players have strong necks? They have really, really strong necks, but usually when they're gonna get concussed, it's when they're unaware that the hit is gonna happen. So in order to have a stiff neck, you need a strong neck that's under active contraction, meaning that you have to know the hit is coming and you need enough time to contract your neck and stiffen it up so that when the hit does happen, you're able to have a protective effect. But here's the problem. In this same study by Viano that I was just talking about, the peak linear acceleration of these impacts happened within the first 6 to 20 milliseconds of impact. So basically within the first six to 20 milliseconds of being impacted, the concussion has already occurred. Now, if we look at biomechanical research around contraction of the neck, uh, we find that it takes between 100 and 200 milliseconds to even initiate contraction of the muscles of your neck. So they do these EMG studies where they put this, these little electrodes on the neck and then they, there's a cue, okay, contract, contract, contract and they see how long it takes. The average is between 100 and 200 milliseconds to even start to contract the muscles of your neck. It takes another 90 milliseconds to even get to one half of the contractile strength of your neck. So if the injury happens in the first six to 20 milliseconds, 
by the time it happens, you don't even have time to contract your neck muscles. The injury's already occurred. The only way that neck strength then becomes an effective strategy for reducing concussion risk is if you know at least a half second ahead of time that you're going to get hit. And if you know a half second ahead of time that you're going to get hit, why don't you just get out of the way? Right? Why contract your neck muscles and worry about that? So neck strengthening as an idea has not uh, been shown to be effective. Now this gets into another idea, which is game awareness, knowing your surroundings. There's been some research that has shown that vision training in football players before the season starts actually led to a reduction in concussion injuries. That's probably because they're able now to pick up more stuff that's going on in the field. They're more aware of their surroundings, which means they're more able to avoid impacts. So if you're able to contract your neck fast enough to have game awareness, or, or sorry, if you have game awareness and you might be able to contract your neck fast enough when an impact occurs. So like I said, there were studies that were done with um, college football players preseason doing vision training, having better um, uh, or having lower concussion risk. Now, the other thing is neuromotor training of the neck. Can you can learn to contract your neck faster when an impact is about to occur? Schmidt et al. 2014 found that this. Our findings show that greater cervical stiffness and less angular displacement after perturbation reduced the odds of sustaining higher magnitude impacts. However, our findings did not show that players with stronger and larger neck muscles mitigate head impact severity. Rather than strength training, neuromuscular training designed to enhance cervical muscle dynamic responses may be a more suitable and effective approach to reduce the odds of sustaining high magnitude impacts among football athletes. So again, getting into more neuromuscular side of things, maybe being able to react quicker might be effective. Smith et al. 2019, this is from the proceedings from the Ice Hockey Summit. Reduction of concussion risk and severity from stronger neck muscles remains to be proven. Dynamic stiffness, the ability to resist movement from a perturbation force and hit anticipation, uh, and hit anticipation were more influential than, mu than neck muscle strength alone. Jin et al. 2017, neck muscle activation timing rather than muscle strength can reduce the chance of injury. Anticipating the head impact and contracting the muscles accordingly prior to impact can effectively decrease the chance of injury. That or more awareness means you can maybe get out of the way and avoid the hit altogether. Clark et al. 2015, this is the study I was talking about, demonstrated an 85% reduction in concussion risk in collegiate football with preseason vision training programs. Next up is the Q collar. So if anyone's heard of the Q collar, it's this device that goes on around the neck and it, it slightly compresses the jugular veins. And the thought process is that if we can compress the jugular veins, because remember veins have blood coming back from the head, so if you're going to compress the jugular veins, you're going to reduce the amount of blood coming back from the head. If you're going to do that, you're going to get a back pressure into the brain where you're going to get less uh, fluid flowing out and that extra fluid in the brain could potentially act as an increased cushion of the brain because remember it's the brain moving around inside the skull if we can cushion the brain from the inside maybe that's a more effective strategy than helmets so it's a good idea potentially in theory the problem is it has never been shown to reduce concussion risk whatsoever. And if you actually go to their website, they will never ever say that it prevents concussion because that would be a claim 
that they would be fined for making. All of the studies on this have been somewhat flawed in the way that they've done the studies. They've used things like diffusion tensor imaging and they've looked at people over the course of seasons and no concussions happen. Um, but then they see that there's less changes in this brain and that brain. Diffusion tensor as a whole has a lot of problems with it. We don't necessarily know what we're looking at when we look at diffusion tensor studies. So the studies that have been done on this device have been flawed and none of the studies have shown any type of reduction in concussion risk. So if you actually go to their website and look it up, it'll say a revolutionary device that helps protect the brain from sports related impacts. The idea is to make you think concussion, sports related impacts but in fact it has actually never been shown or even studied on its ability to reduce concussion risk. So more research needed on the device. Um, anyway, that's my answer on that. Avoiding contact. So this has been shown to be the only thing that reduces concussion risk to any significant degree is reducing contact in sports. Uh, in the meta-analysis by Emory that I was talking about earlier, 2017, they found a 67% reduction in concussion risk in 11 and 12-year-olds when playing in non-contact leagues versus those playing in full contact leagues. 67% reduction in 11 and 12-year-olds. In 13 and 14-year-olds, a recent study from just this year, uh, September 2019, found that disallowing body checking resulted in 54% less injuries in 13 and 14 year olds and a 40% reduction in concussion risk. Again, this was non-significant. Although 40% again, I could argue is definitely clinically significant to be able to reduce concussion risk by 40%, but we need more data to make it scientifically or statistically significant. Uh, Faller et al. 2019 found that limiting full contact practices in high school football resulted in a significant reduction in concussions in football practices. Obviously, if you're not going to have contact, you're going to lower your risk of having concussion. And there was no difference in games. So games versus practices, uh, or sorry, games in um, for teams that had full contact practices versus non-contact practices, they weren't at any increased risk of having concussion in games. So that would be the argument against limiting full contact practices would be, well, if they don't practice hitting in practice, then how are they going to know how to take a hit during the game? They're going to be more at risk for concussion during the game because they haven't practiced it. But the research here actually shows that there was a reduction in concussions during practice and there was no increased risk during games. So again, more research needed on all this stuff. Rule changes in Major League Baseball designed to reduce home plate collisions resulted in a significant reduction in concussions. So the biggest thing you can take away from this is protective equipment is not going to prevent concussion, at least with what we have now. There's no evidence for any of the devices that exist out there that are designed to prevent or reduce concussion risk. There's no evidence that any of them do a significant job in reducing concussion risk. So no matter what device you buy, so if you're out shopping for helmets and protective gear for, for concussion, you're not necessarily going to find it, right? The protective gear that's out there, mouth guards, you should still wear it because it prevents dental injuries. Helmets, you should still wear it because it prevents more serious injuries like skull fractures. But when you're thinking about concussion, the only way that you can reduce your chance of getting concussion is to avoid contact. So if you're playing in a contact sport, things like vision training may be effective. Game awareness, okay? Working on neuromuscular control of your neck. 
you know, having your head on a swivel, knowing where the play is, anticipating impacts before they occur. That's your best bet. Your best bet even further from that is to limit your contact. That's it. Did any follow-up questions happen over here? No. Comment about Yeah, so an ex-fighter said he would disagree with the mouth charge theory. He thinks it makes the impact worse as the jaw is solid on impact in my experience anyways. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. Hmm. Anything over here? No. Okay. All right, guys. So um, that's our last episode before the Christmas holiday. Uh, so thank you, everyone, for tuning in over the past year. It's been my pleasure to speak with you every Wednesday. Um, so I'm going to wish you all a Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah, happy Kwanzaa, happy Festivus, uh, whatever you may celebrate. Uh, do it safely. Do it with love. I'll see you back here in 2020. For those of you currently suffering from concussion injuries, make 2020 the year that you get your life back and ramp up your recovery. And for those healthcare practitioners, make 2020 the year that you really learn how to treat concussions effectively and help out our patients that are trying to get back to everything. So cheers, everybody. Happy holidays. Whoa, wait, 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 wait. Just one more thing before you go. This episode is brought to you by the Complete Concussion Management Clinical Network. Are you suffering from concussion symptoms that just aren't getting better? Maybe you're in the wrong place. Maybe you're seeing the wrong healthcare professional. Visit completeconcussion.com slash find dash a dash clinic find all the local professionally trained concussion rehab individuals in your area. Each of our partnered clinics have gone through extensive training on concussion assessment, management, diagnosis, treatment, and rehabilitation. Uh, they're going to work with you to try and find the root cause of your symptoms and then develop a treatment plan and approach to help get rid of them. If you don't know what's driving the symptoms, you can't ever help or hope to fix them. CompleteConcussions.com slash find a clinic. They have a 98% patient satisfaction rating and have a higher net promoter score than Amazon, Apple, and Netflix. CompleteConcussions.com slash find a clinic. You will not regret it. Thank you for listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a review. Have questions about concussion management for future episodes? Submit them to our website, Facebook, or even Instagram. See you next time.